Hello, and welcome to Empowering Women Through Sports. I am your host, Allison Ferguson. Perseverance, failure, tenacity, and redemption, that's the consistent theme of this episode. Cassandra Cunningham is a former U.S. rowing national team athlete who took her athleticism, rowing prowess, and physical education master's degree into a varied and fulfilling coaching career. The steps she took to get to her goals were consistent with who she is, someone who is not afraid of challenge and will not give up. Cass lives in Philadelphia now, but she grew up in Millbrae, California, a suburb south of San Francisco. She was messing around with some friends one summer on the high school campus, and though seemingly aimless at the time, those antics started her on her athletic journey. It was going into my freshman year. I just happened to be on our high school track. I was with some friends, and we were tooling around, and we did a lap around the track, and it just so happened that the high school coach, Mr. Parker, was there, and he was just this very calm, cool, collective older gentleman, sunglasses, hat, had an orange VW bus right on the track. By the way, the license plate was called Mr. Track, and he came over to me and he said, hey, that was actually pretty good. Have you ever thought about running cross country? And I just looked at him and chuckled and said, uh, uh-huh. <laughs> I knew nothing about running or cross country at all. And that was the beginning of my real big intro of athletics. So Mr. Parker, did he put you into an event? Well, I started cross country in the fall and uh, we would race three miles a big event was in Belmont, but it was an all dirt cross country course. And my first experience running three mile race was running down this huge hill over a beehive and I got stung in the back of my head. First time ever running three miles, finished the race with a bee stung and I still kept continuing on. Cross country was just, it was so weird and distance running, I didn't get it. And then we got into track and I was intrigued with that. The 400, the 800, the mile, that made sense to me. So I became a middle, I actually was a middle distance runner. And the 4 by 400 relay was my favorite. So the mile relay, uh, the 400 individual, I love the 800, but I really focused on the half, which some people would argue that the 400 is harder than the 800. And I think the 800 is probably the hardest event. It's an all out two lap sprint. And that's kind of how it started. This man, who was our social studies teacher, he could have gone anywhere. He created an amazing culture for women's track and field in the 60s and 70s, Millbury Lions Track Club, and empowered women and took athletes to the Olympics, I would say probably from the 60s all the way up until 88. I remember asking him why he never went to college, coach. He said, I just didn't want to deal with the politics. I loved being able to teach high school and watch athletes grow and learn and evolve. And truthfully, I wouldn't have evolved into the athlete I had become without his guidance. And oh, he, was, awesome. he was, yeah, yeah. What a great mentor. 25 years. He really, he, 25 years he was my mentor. I miss him every day. Wish I could have conversations with him now. Truthfully, like one of the reasons why I became a high school coach. It's a privilege to have a good coach in life, someone who can motivate us and help us find our strength within. 
I asked Cass for an example of how Mr. Parker helped her as an athlete. The ironic thing was, is I really loved track and I really learned how to be an athlete in high school. And I was on the varsity team my first couple of years. I liked working out once a day. I didn't know what I wanted. I just liked the social part. I got to show up to practice, do my thing. I thought it was good. I never trained in the summertime until going into my junior year. I didn't train and three freshmen came in and killed me in cross country. And I had a real big eye opener of what just happened. I was literally watching it happen and thinking, what the heck just happened? And I ended up learning how to train better my junior year for track. I had a great track season. And then I didn't want to go back to cross country. And this is where Mr. Parker came in. And he said, well, you know, if you don't come to cross country, you may not have a great track season. And he just had that very sound, calm, cool, collective voice. And I just kind of grinded my teeth and then went away that summer and trained all summer and made the varsity cross country team. And we took second in the state. Cass experienced good success as a high school runner, and when it came time to go to college, she chose Sacramento State. But running track or cross-country in college was a different level of competition. Sac State was a Division I track program. Very, very good. I knew that I was an okay high school athlete, but I also knew I was not a Division I runner. I knew the difference in level, and that was not my jam. So I went to college just to go to college. And that's where I figured out that I needed sport because I was a mess my first three weeks. And the transition came, I came home knowing I was a mess. I was trying to tell my father that I wanted to transfer to UC Davis because they had a division two track program. I said, Hey, I could do that. I think division two. But then my dad handed me the flyer about rowing. And he said, why don't you try this? And I said, what the hell is this? He said, just go look at it. Three weeks later, I found myself to the aquatic center in Lake Natoma, and I ran into Bob Whitford, who was the men's coach, and very scary and intimidating, and I was already three weeks late. I said, I just got this flyer in the mail from my dad. I'd like to see what it's like. Oh, yeah, today we're doing a three-mile timed run. Why don't you join everybody? So I did the run. I beat everybody, and that was it. I'm like, I'm in. Sign me up. That was the transition right there and then. Oh my gosh. So that earned your respect of the other teammates right away. Oh, she's a great athlete. And that was it. I didn't know how to row. I didn't need to know how to row, but I like sport. There was something there that I still wanted to compete. And it sounded like it was a savior for you in your mental capacity there. New college, you needed sport to get you through and you knew that. Yeah. My organization, my time management, my self-esteem, my social awareness all came back within a week. That's brilliant. Yeah. So you transitioned into rowing and how old were you when you started rowing? Now, the reason I ask is that usually to excel at a sport these days, girls are encouraged to start by six, seven, eight years old say like an AYSO or volleyball or tennis. And it's very reassuring to hear how girls can pick up rowing later on and still make a team. I think that's the beautiful part of this sport. And I know most collegiate coaches really love the full diversity of an athlete because any good coach can teach someone how to move a boat and row But it's tough if they don't have the athlete, the person who wants to leap and bound and run and jump and swim 
and cycle and do all those other things. I didn't say I rode magically from the beginning. I kind of rode like a donkey a little bit. You know, the technique took me some time, but I loved all the other things. I loved the running. I loved the challenge of the rowing machine. I loved the plyometrics that we got to do, introduction to weightlifting and a different level. I think that's the beautiful part of this sport is that when I work with young high school families and they say, oh, they started so late, they started their senior year or second semester of their junior year. Most importantly, you don't want an athlete that's going to burn out. So the diversity of three sports, two sports, just learning how to understand body movement, body awareness is huge. That's the beautiful part of having rowing in college is that you find a sport that fits you because you still love sport. You may not find the one you did growing up, but you may find something else. That feeling of synchronicity in the boat. You've got eight people in the boat, and I'm referring to a sweep. That's one oar per person. How can you tell if the boat is doing well? Can you describe, <laughs> can you describe that feeling? When I was in college, I would have to say understanding boat feeling was really difficult for me. I was the person that said, I'm going to do this all by myself, and I'm going to try and keep my boat ahead as far as I possibly can. And some days that was magical because I thought just by me pulling my face off and doing what I could, the whole boat would get up and go. And there were days that the boat wasn't going and I could have been the one stopping it because I wasn't moving with everybody. I think there was a part of, you know, rhythm and learning how to move with the person in front of you and feel what the person is doing behind you. And ironically enough, my coach in college, he was pretty intuitive and worked really well with women. And I remember my senior year, he aged, gave us a trait. And my trait, of course, was patience, which is funny because it is something I have to work on all the time till this day. And he put me in the bow seat of the eight, which is the person in the very back, because he said, you need to learn how to follow people <laughs> and respect others. And I love that he called me out on that. And it ended up being my most favorite seat and the seat that got us as far as we went to my senior year. But yeah, I think it really is a matter of just when people are moving as a unit, the bodies, the blades go in the water, they come out together. Sometimes when that doesn't happen, that can stop the boat no matter how strong you are. Right. The chain is as strong as its weakest link. And if it, yep. one of those oars is off, then that's a weak link. Yeah. Timing. It's all about timing. We talked a bit more about synchronicity and what a joyful feeling it is when everyone works together and the boat glides freely across the water. It's not always like that, Cass says. Sometimes the boat can feel heavy when the oars and bodies are out of rhythm. But as a team, you learn to work through poor performances, whether for practices or racing. And Cass had a life lesson that made her realize the value of her team and that teamwork is more than just for sport. I think like anything, when you lose something, you sometimes come back a little bit stronger. And in my senior year, in my last year of rowing, I had taken some time off from college, make some bad decisions. I stepped away from rowing for a while, realizing it was the biggest mistake I ever did, but it was the greatest thing that ever happened because I came back a completely different person. 
I had to earn the respect of my teammates, the team that I had walked away from that were pretty annoyed with me, which I can understand. And making my way back to that program was the hardest thing I had to do, but the best thing that I ever did. And in that year, we knew we were going to have a magical year back in September after the first week that my team didn't talk to me. And then I beat them on the run. And then I won my seat races in the boat. And that's when somebody came up to me and said, all right, I'm going to eat my words, swallow my pride. Let's go kick some ass. And we did. For 21-year-olds, that was a huge pivotal moment of just growing up and knowing what we were capable of doing from a very small club, state school program. And so we were in San Diego in 1995. The San Diego Crew Classic that is held every April. We were favorite with UC Davis at that time to win the California Cup. And that was big for us. And I'll remember this forever. We lost the Cal Cup to Davis by 78 hundredths of a second. If you can see, that is a bow ball is, let's say, about the size of maybe a golf ball. Half of that golf ball just crossing the line. It's crazy. So 25 years later, I still remember that race, how far we lost by. But we came home and we said, that is never going to happen again. We went to town. We showed up every day. There was a different mentality. There was a different purpose. We qualified for the national championships for the first time in history. It was amazing. So yeah, it really can. When, when the goal becomes clear and you know what you have to win, you, you change. It's pretty neat. And when everybody does it, oh, it's amazing. So perhaps having that feeling of failure just motivated you all the more. A hundred percent. Everybody. Everybody was on the same page. It was awesome to go to practice every day, knowing the kind of work that everybody was putting in. What are some thoughts you have about failure? Oh, I'm a big fan of failure. Because if you don't fail, you don't grow and you don't learn, you don't appreciate the people that are around you, you don't appreciate yourself, you don't understand humility. So failure to me is success. Failure to me is that you took a chance and you tried something and you're willing to continue to move forward. And that's the key, moving forward after failure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, your team at Sac State, you guys were, you did great. I mean, three state championship titles and the 1995 Pacific Coast Rowing Championships in the Women's Varsity 8. That's impressive. Yeah, super impressive. Cass started to pursue the U.S. rowing national team. She was encouraged by former fellow rowers to get more intense experience by attending pre-elite training camps. That way, she would be more prepared for the national team identification camps, or ID camps. Those ID camps are how the U.S. rowing national team selects the athletes for the team. This experience opened her eyes to the dedication and sacrifices required to compete at the highest level of her sport. The thing that I was actually most impressed with was the level of focus. Everybody was in their A game every day. I never knew that there could be that much focus every day out of practice, you know, coming from a small college program. I went to my first ID camp in the winter of 96 and the scary East German coach 
Hartmut Buschbacher, which at the time basically told me, he said, yeah, Cassandra, you need to go home and uh, <laughs> you, need to, you need to work on the UG a little bit and do this. And I was really mad and monkeyed up. And, and then the fall of 96, I really started training. And I went back to ID camp again in 97. And he said, oh, lady, okay, you get a little stronger. You come down to the training center in March. So I stayed back in Sacramento, trained for another six weeks and found my way to a 10-day camp in March and then was asked to be a resident. Again, a little bit of failure, kind of go back, regroup, find my way. Truthfully, again, I had no intentions of ever looking at the U.S. national team. I just thought camp was cool. And until that summer of 95, when I was at development camp, I was actually at the national championships. And it was, I'll never forget, we were in Indianapolis, pouring rain, we're under a tent, I'm talking to some different athletes. And there's this young lady who's under the tent, and she's part of the what they would call selection camp. So she was actually in content of making a boat that would go to the world championships. I'm just in this development camp, you know, just super different category. But I was just, hey, how's it going? What's your name? What are you doing? And she was super snotty, super rude, super snotty. That's probably the worst word I'm going to use for that. And I was shocked, just didn't even think that anybody could be so uh, like rude. And so I went back over to Bob Whitford, who taught me how to row. And I said, I'm in. I said, I'm doing this. And he said, well, what changed, what changed your mind? I said, I'm going to have fun and be nice and be courteous and still kick the crap out of everybody. There's no reason why you can't. And so that was just that one human changed my mentality of going into the national team. I was never going to ever treat anybody like that. Throw me a challenge, Cass says, and I'll, <laughs> I'll shove it in your face. That's exactly it. <laughs> Cass and I didn't get into the fine details on how the U.S. rowing selection process works, but she said it's super difficult with lots of high-level athletes competing for limited spots on the team. Not every team member gets selected to go to the world championships, for example. Here's a great story of persistence, digging deep, and finding out what it takes to succeed. I would say the most profound life perseverance experience was actually when I was on the national team. I actually was the spare going to the 98 world championships. I was the alternate. 1997 was my first year on the team. There was like 12 of us that made eight seats. It was the inaugural of the women's lightweight quad. They wanted to make the four quads. So it became you know, just understanding sculling, bringing it all together because it was going to become an Olympic event. So that's why I learned how to skull. I have this thing in my life about doing something first, right? I feel like that's been my life pattern. So I was part of the first inaugural women's lightweight quad for the U.S. in 97. And in 98, that number almost tripled of athletes that came to try out for the team. The number of selection camp in San Diego was crazy talk. It literally came to the wire where I became the alternate. And so all of us then went to Princeton and trained for three weeks prior to leaving to Germany. Every day I fought, every day. And one of my teammates said, I don't know how this story is going to end, but you keep fighting. So I was in my single, just doing my thing. I cried 
I can't even tell you how many days I cried. And I call the story 50 days of hell. I counted every day up until the starting line. The day before the heats, I got a knock on the door stating that something had happened to one of the other athletes and my opportunity was to race. I was going in the quad. I was taking somebody else's seat and I, I just was shocked. And so the week of racing was the easiest week I ever had. One, I didn't want to screw it up. But two, I had gone through that horrendous of failure and survival and perseverance with the faith of some very amazing teammates that got me there. And that, I think, defined a lot about not giving in. That whole summer was a defining moment in who I became as an athlete. As a rower and an athlete, Cass had the foundation to be a coach. And through her career, she held many different coaching positions. The first came about while she was in her final year of college and still considering the U.S. national rowing team. Conveniently, the job was for coaching the novice women of Capital Crew, which is the junior program out of the same aquatic center as her Sacramento State team. It was a great learning experience for Cass as a coach and enabled her to utilize her major, physical education, and implement the tools she learned toward coaching. It was pretty entertaining. I, it was skill breakdown, right? Skill breakdown. That was my degree, phys ed. And remembering that I had to really go back to square one with these high school girls on the water, it took me some time to really have that skill breakdown. I told myself, this is what I know. These athletes are going to be fit. They're going to know how to leap and bound and jump and run the hills. I may not teach them how to row all that well, but they are going to be fit. And that's what I knew. So it was forcing me to learn the fundamentals of skill breakdown, how to teach them how to row and be a unit. And the best thing about being a phys ed teacher is I was going through these analysis classes where I had to create syllabuses and daily lesson plans. So that's actually what really helped me in my early years of coaching, novices especially, you know, and even varsity. What was the objective for the day? What were the drills we were going to do? What was the work that we were going to do? What was the lineup going to be like? And so having that organized in my head helped them be a little bit more together. And it was a big learning experience for me. My friend, I was 22. So basically, I was very young, didn't know anything at all, went off with all heart. And I'll never forget at one point, actually, one of the girls looked at me and she said, Cass, we're not a cross-country team. I said, I don't, excuse my French, give a shit, go run those hills. Like we're going to be fit. And ironically enough, they won the women's novice eight that year, which was a huge event in novice high school rowing, going up against some great clubs like Marin and Oakland. And by the way, we got killed by them early on in the season. So that was a pretty good first go around. I took some time off, obviously, after that to go train with the national team because I knew that I couldn't give them what I needed to give them if I, I had to be selfish. I, I just, this was, this was my path. So when I retired from the national team, I went to graduate school at UMass and Jim Dietz, who brought me on board, gave me the lightweight women at UMass. That was my first definitely intro to collegiate coaching Jim, till this day, great mentor, hard person to work with, taught me so many amazing things. 
don't ever assume and figure it out. And he always taught me how to figure it out. And then he held me accountable and he just reminded me never to assume. Cass was grateful for the experience from her first collegiate coaching role at UMass. But it was after conversations with Mr. Parker, her mentor from her own high school days of track, that Cass decided to go for a high school coaching job. And this job had the consistent theme of her life. It was a challenge. And it wasn't until my last year of graduate school, I actually started coaching track and field for the first time ever, but I was working with high school kids. After my experience at the high school, I realized I wanted to coach high school athletes. I realized that that was my calling. But again, why go to girls? Truthfully, girls are a little harder than boys. But at that time, what did I know? I was only you know, 30 years old. And I said, no, I want to coach boys. There was a job opening for Unibro Sarah High School. And I said, great, I'll be the boys coach. This is awesome. And so here I am at Unibro Sarah High School, all boys Catholic school, uh, where Barry Bonds went, Tom Brady. And I'm sitting in the office with the president the principal, the athletic director, and the priest, all boys high school. (laughs) So we had a conversation. I knew there was some drama and some politics that were happening. And at the end of the day, they asked me, so do you think you can just keep this program afloat and get it going? And of course I said, yeah, why not? (laughs) For seven years, pulled the program together and got it going. And I had boys all over the country rowing in college. It was amazing. Ups and downs, learned a lot. I definitely yelled a lot. Didn't have a lot of good composure, but I had a lot of heart. Always had a lot of heart and uh, thick in my skin, as my father would tell me. You mentioned something earlier. I just want to circle back on. You mentioned that it's harder to coach the girls than the guys. What is it about the women that it's harder to coach? After coaching college girls, and just dealing with drama and whatnot, I wanted to simplify things. And I was seeing these high school boys that I was coaching in track. They were so simple. I grew up with boys my whole life. I knew they were going to be challenging. Plus, truthfully, I wanted to be that woman, that woman in that all-boys Catholic high school where I idolized all those guys when I was in high school and say, I could do this. So for me, selfishly a little bit, it was a little bit of ego. Can I do this? So it was more about me coaching the boys at the all boys Catholic high school. If that makes sense. (laughs) Again, give me the challenge so I can. Here's what was interesting though. After my seven years of coaching high school boys, to their credit, they made me a better coach to girls because they reminded me that I needed to hold my line, not make it so emotional, keep it simple, keep it direct. And it really was the transition in 08 when I had the opportunity for my first year of coaching my first development team. I was so nervous. That was the first time I was going back to high school girls. And I haven't worked with high school girls since 1995. So it was, I did not want to screw this up. So all my time that I was yelling, you know, all the time that I didn't know how to take a deep breath, that summer reminded me how to do that. And I came back to Oakland Strokes because I had then transitioned to Oakland Strokes and 09 coaching girls, a completely different person. 
So it is that transitional period of how programs teach you things. Till this day, I'm very close to a lot of the Sarah alum guys who I taught. And they're so funny because they say, what, you don't yell anymore? I said, I mean, sure, when I need to, but it depends what kind of yelling. If I'm trying to get my point across, I'm just going to look you in the eye and just tell you what I think. <laughs> and they're like, I said, I was 30 years old. I was a youngster and just trying to figure it all out, trying to be the superstar. It's not about that at all now. But to their credit, they made me a better coach to girls. And I love coaching girls now. Love it. I love that. 30 is so young. I mean, when we are in our 20s and 30s, we think that we can do anything. We're so invincible at that age. I'm trying to be invincible now, actually. Yes. Oh, me too. Creative, outside the box, thinking, listen, if you think we're done growing, then you might as well just put a seven feet under. So that's the joy. That's what living is. So there you go again with um, doing more than everyone else because I I think it's six feet under. (laughs) Six feet under. That's it. (laughs) I want to go one more foot of shoveling dirt. (laughs) I love it. So what inspired you to launch P3, which is prior proper planning? Basically, my grandfather was captain of the Merchant Marine. So it's a military phrase. Prior proper planning prevents piss poor performance. The three Ps prevent the four Ps. So when I was growing up, my dad would always remind me, be organized, learn how to communicate, stand tall, prior proper planning, the three Ps. So I knew that very early on. And actually, my very first year coaching, my, when I was 22, I started instilling it into these athletes. Every athlete that I've ever coached, whatever sport it is, all knows three Ps. And so I collectively took my entire life, maybe just about 20 years of what I had done to date, and I put it all together. What did I really want to, what was the whole purpose? So Mike, my husband, said, you got to condense that. So that's how he said, how about Power 3? So Power 3 was created. It's still the website is prior proper planning, but it's condensed to Power 3. So once I knew that that was happening, I reached out to three of my most amazing, strong, athletic, female businesswoman. One who I just had done coaching with in the summer. She was going to business school at UCLA. One who was an Olympian who went to Harvard Business School. Another one I grew up with, went to Stanford Business School. And the third one, I coached at Penn who went to Wharton. So I picked their brains. They were all athletes, all rowers. And I asked them all different questions. And Susan Franchi was the one that said, you need to define what prior proper planning means to you. She said, what, what does it mean? I said, it means organization, communication, and professionalism. I was able to define what the company meant to me and then how to piece it, how to market it, how to break it down, because all these other women who were the center stone of business were able to guide me and give me some advice And the first thing was I wanted to educate families about why you need sport. Not why do you want to be a college athlete? Why do you need sport? And then educating them about the steps that they need to take through the college process. Not how to get recruited, but how to recruit schools. Learn about schools. Learn about things. Questions to ask. And then working with individual students through that process. The second part became working with young coaches and guiding them through the scenarios that I went through myself as a young coach. 
to hopefully give them a little bit of guidance on organization of a practice, professionalism, how to communicate with your athletes. And then the other part was just going back to fitness training, working with young high school athletes, working with master's athletes, teaching them about how your body changes, understanding your body as a rower. Listen, whether you're 85 or 14, it's still the same thing. Understanding muscle awareness, balance, all those areas came under the umbrella of P3. Cass operates her Power of Three training business out of the schoolhouse or the barn that is within the community where she and Mike live. She sees a wide spectrum of talent from the naturally gifted athlete to those who are simply hell-bent on becoming a rower but lack the natural ability. I asked her how she approaches the way she coaches when it comes to the variety of talent. Oh, that's a great question. I think teaching is teaching. Everybody still gets the same fundamental breakdown of skill. I think what changes is the, the directness of focus. I have one young athlete who comes in and just her brain is just high. Like watching Onyx run, who's my puppy, and all of a sudden the squirrels to the left and then to the right. And it's like, wait, what just happened? You know, how do I keep them centered on that path? And some just come in and they understand that focus level. And the best part about the schoolhouse is there's no judgment. Everybody that comes in, it's all about encouraging, helping, and supporting. Because you all have something to work on. If you're pointing fingers at somebody else, that means that you're not doing your own job. We talked more about how Cass is an athlete by nature. And even though she is a full-time training coach, she finds time to pursue competitive rowing. It keeps her motivated and inspired as a coach. She shared a unique and uncanny ritual that, well, I'm going to have to try sometime. Personally, I love to still be athletic. I love to still compete and train. And I've told myself the day that I stop yawning at the starting line, then I'm done. Because the yawn is the adrenaline. It's the anxiety. It's the the juice. And so the moment I get to a starting line of a race, I would always yawn. Wait a minute. You never you, yawn. You never, you never you, yawned at the starting line. You yawn yeah. at the starting line. Yeah. What does that do for yeah. you? I think it just relaxes me. <laughs> I've never thought about that. I'm so intent on the task at hand. Yeah. A yawn almost signals boredom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yawning is not boredom. I think it's just, I'm, I'm here. The nervousness or the anxiety, if I don't feel that, then I know I'm done. But all those little good things, if I'm still feeling that, I'll keep going till I, you know, again, seven feet under. (laughs) I love it. Well, what insights can you share with our listeners? What advice can you offer those who are intimidated about pursuing a sport or unsure of themselves? First of all, staying fit and staying healthy is the most important thing. And that just keeps you stimulated. It keeps the mind going, keeps the skin fresh, keeps the joy in life. But I think for any youngsters, the most important thing is you've got to ask yourself, why do you really need sport? Not why do you want it, but why do you need it? And what does it bring to you? What is it teaching you? Even older in life. I mean, I have a client who just started becoming an athlete for the first time in her life four years ago. She had a baby, early age, raised the child, child's amazing, graduated from college, doing his thing, and then she 
picks up this sport as a dragon boater. And she just is now learning what it's like for the first time to be an athlete. So for her, I'm working with this amazing, intelligent, older person, but I'm teaching her the things I teach my 14-year-olds. I say it's never too late. Never stop challenging yourself to try something new because you never know. What a great message. When we challenge ourselves, we may falter at first, but as you said, stick to a plan and you can achieve anything. That is empowering. Thank you so much for your time, Cass, and sharing your insights. Yeah. And I appreciate you so much. Thank you. I do too. I love it. Love, love it. you. Love you. Say hi to Mike. Okay. I will. Take care. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Music for this podcast is created and produced by Gary Ferguson. Become a part of the Empowering Women Through Sports community. Learn when a new episode comes out by subscribing or following us on Apple Podcast or Spotify. Follow us on Instagram at EWTSPod, and it's super helpful when you share with your friends. Thank you. And keep charging.